Stephen Alexander. Hello. Good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Not too bad. Everybody, everybody is well. I think. Is, is this about the golf? Is this about the golf? This show now. <laughs> no, is, yeah, it, I don't... is that Graham Adol on the line? Who's that on the line? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right. Stephen, you're going to have to give us a bit of background on yourself before we go into what the big project is. Um, you're 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 a Dublin boy. Sure up, sure up. Who has found himself all over the world. That's right. Nice. So, what's, what's your background and how, how what are you what what have you done before your big project? Tell us about your before your big well, Early uh 2000s started out actually as an electronic engineer. That's my uh my initial background and uh the dream has always been to fly actually. So, um Commercial aviation, getting up into large airliners was, was always the dream. And uh, essentially became an engineer, was working for a couple of large multinationals here in Dublin. And uh, when I had enough money in the pocket to go and learn how to fly, off to the States I went and I was there for three years. Trained up. And while uh, I was there, um, there's a huge amount of exams along the aviation I can imagine. line. It's, it, it, it can be quite busy, but... One of the big things coming from home, I never probably had much exposure in the way to whiskey until I actually went to the States. And throughout all of our training and everything else, the two guys I lived with were fairly significant bourbon heads, <laughs> uh, both Kentucky guys, and uh, introduced me to stuff that I've never seen before. A whole new world opened up, yeah. brands I'd never heard of before. And essentially, that's where my love of whiskey actually started. And uh, yeah, from there, I was there for three years, but probably over the last 15 to 20 years, I haven't really, probably 18 months maybe spent in Ireland over, over that time and came back from the US. I was living in Spain and France and Italy, Poland, and then from Poland out to China. So it's been, uh, it's been a, a long road, let's say, to take us there. So, so basically, you've thought all over the world and find yourself in China. That's right. Now, if, uh, for, for a guy from Dublin to end up in China, must be must be a big culture shock. Must be a big culture shock. Huge, huge, yeah. and uh, I think there's not much that can prepare you for that. I wouldn't um, have thought so. You kind of uh, you go out there with some things in your mind. You talk to people before you obviously go to get a, an idea of um, you know what things are going to be like. And when you get there, it doesn't matter what people <laughs> tell you. It's, it's just it's all new. It's all new. It's Almost every day, everything you do is almost a brand new experience. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah that's I, it. I, I can't. I, I, I mean, I, I think the Far East's probably about as alien to, to people from sort of certainly Western Europe, the US, as you can probably get. You know, the, mm -hmm. in terms of language and culture and diet and climate and everything, basically everything. I assume. Yeah, yeah, it's great from top to bottom. I mean. There's parts of China that we could fly from. It takes you seven and a half hours to fly to the other side of the country. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. E even on map, it doesn't actually do it justice in terms of how big it is. You know, I lived in Shenzhen right on the Hong Kong border. The vast majority of the year is 30 degrees plus. And during that day, I could fly five hours north and it could be minus 30. So <laughs> the, the variation on everything from culture from city to city, temperature, yeah. climate, everything was yeah. literally every, every city almost has a brand new culture. Um, yeah. So it's an incredible place in, in terms of a variety of you know life. Let's say. yeah, yeah, variety. Now, basically, the big spirit drink in China is is baiju. It's, a, it's yes. like rice wine, and I, I have a couple of bottles of those. And there's like eight different varieties depending on how it's dis distilled and fermented and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a very complicated. It is, but it's, it's generally flavored to local taste also. So when you go from city to city, you won't get the same thing. Yeah. Or it, it might look like the same thing, but they've made delicate changes to it to, to bring in the local custom. But uh, I, I'll leave you with those eight bottles. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I, it, it isn't really for me. I, I, I had, I've, I've got a bottle in the house, which is I, I really quite like because it's, it's very umami. It's very, it's, you know, it's very, it's very sort of savory and, and flavor. I quite like that. I quite like that. But you you have well, reading a bit of your biography, your background. What you you weren't a big whiskey guy until you, you kind of thought whiskey was an old man's your granddad's drink. Is it? I mean, growing up, that was pretty much everybody kind of thought it's it's an old guy's drink, and they sit and mm -hmm. have, have, have 
whenever you were young, forever I was young, was somebody sitting having a cigarette and a, and a, and a, a half and a whiskey, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it was the States when I got to the States initially, that was, that was the eye opener. Yeah. And I think if, if you go back to, you know, the eighties, seventies into the eighties, there wasn't a huge amount on the market at home. There were a lot of distilleries now that are thankfully revived, doing great. It's fantastic to see. But when you go back to that time, yeah. a lot of distilleries had died off. You had some basic stuff, but I don't want to say there was a lack of effort on behalf of the distillery. I, I, think, I, th I think there was a lack of effort. There was a lack of interest. There was a lack of loads of stuff. Yeah, but the variety, there, there wasn't a whole lot available. And it wasn't something, we're in a very, very different time in terms of uh, the commercial marketing, mm -hmm. the visibility of whiskey. And I think probably in a different place in terms of our acceptance of what whiskey can be. Yeah. You know, the flexibility of the cast, the different types of finishes. You know, there, there was a lot of, let's say, old mentality, strict rule set that, no, you can't do that. That's yeah. that's not within our our realm of what we expect Scotch or Irish whiskey to be, so you're not doing that. Yeah. Now it's a, there's a huge amount of freedom for all the distilleries. Go go have a crack at it. See if it works. Maybe right. you get something. Maybe it's a horse chestnut cask. Maybe <laughs> it's I, – I, I know companies who are doing it. Yeah. I know, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Give it a try. Give it a try. And – I think we're in an age now of exploration of whiskey and everything is acceptable as long as the quality comes out right. But that, so I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I mean, that's why I'm talking about stuff like this because the quality of that's, that, I mean, it's superb, really good quality stuff for a very, very, very cheap price. Now, getting back on to the project that we're going to talk about in a little minute because I haven't actually named the name of it. Mm-hmm. It's on screen. I've spoiled yeah. it. Yeah, I know because I kept <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, "Does he not? He's not listening to me here." But anyway, never, you never listen to me anyway. But anyway, we'll go on. So you've found yourself in China. You've you've had a bit of a, a bit of an education in whiskey in the US. Yeah. You find yourself in China, and well, you've decided to build the distillery, which uh, start a project where at the end of it, you'll have the biggest whiskey distillery in the world. That's a side. We went from not knowing a big lot to stress very, very quick here. <laughs> very quick. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, <laughs> it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a strange story, to be honest, because it, it sort of feels like a story that you randomly kind of end up in. And yeah. then all of a sudden things happen and you don't know how you got there. <laughs> so for, for me, moving to China, as I said, the, the culture can be a little bit, um, the language is difficult. It's, it, it takes a long time to actually get in and, and really understand the the little nuances of it. So, look, I, I've lived in many, many different cities. And to be honest with you, you kind of sort of go after what you know, local language or English. Anybody who speaks English, it's a football club. It's, you know, something. You get involved in something you know yeah, that yeah, other yeah. people maybe from home would like. And there was a huge whiskey presence actually in Shenzhen. A lot of whiskey clubs knocking around. A lot of foreign guys who run whiskey nights. Yeah, and that, that was my go-to. It was a good way to meet other guys. It was a good way to do what you love: go and have a, a dram, have have a bit of crack with the guys, and talk about whiskey. But every time we went, and maybe this is a question I can pose to you, because when I think about all of the distilleries that are opening all over the world, whether it be from the Scandinavian countries now who are using glacial water for the distilleries, or you know, German distilleries or French or Mexican, yeah. whatever it is. Can you tell me, tell me a bottle of Chinese? Uh, no, I, I mean, you just can't. Yeah, and, and that was a problem. That was a problem. I mean, you might have 30, 40, 50 bottles of Scotch, Irish bourbons, everything from all over the world, even Italian whiskey, you know, and there was a huge selection of anything you could get. And the question always came back to, why is there nothing here? There's yeah. nothing. So we tried to understand the market a little bit and, you know, obviously what the local products would be, you know, spirits. So if you look at the overall spirits market in China, it's about 4 billion bottles a year market, which is huge. However, if you look at what it's made up of, 3.9 billion of that is local spirits by Joe yeah. and, and local rice wines. So... Even though 100 million bottles sounds like a huge amount of Western spirits in China. <laughs> if you look at the UK, for example, pre-pandemic, they went through 100 liters or 100 million bottles of vodka 
alone yeah. in 2019. So it seems like a huge amount, but on the other side of it, it's not a huge amount compared to the market that's available. No. And what we're seeing now is of that 100 million, there's about probably 35 to 40 million of it is actual um, whiskey. And that's across all, all, whether it's scotch or whatever, yeah. bourbons and that sort of thing. Predominantly, probably into the early, early 2000s, late 90s, it was, in terms of foreign spirit brands, it was brandy, brandy and cognacs, because they were seen as rich brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, prominent brands. But they've essentially taken a huge nosedive now, and they're being left behind. There's a younger generation coming through, mm-hmm. and malt whiskey is where it's at. There's a huge explosion with it. So when we looked at everything that they do at home, if you take anything that you have, even that bottle that you have on the table, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, look, production cost is X, we'll manufacture it here, and we can sell it for 35 pounds or something, as you said, 35 to 40 pounds. If you take that then and try and export it to China, your transport costs in the last couple of years gone up four, five-fold. Mm-hmm. Ship it to China, you arrive, taxes, import taxes, import duties, transport yep. within. The cost to the general consumer in China is, is almost double to triple the price that you would get in Europe, even yep. for even for entry level standard bottles. Yeah, you know, like, like a basic Jameson, a basic, yep. you know, Bushmills, Bushmills Black or some Black Bush or something like that, could be forty to fifty pounds yep. in China. So for the general public, they're price prohibitive. Yeah, you know, you really are looking at a. I, I don't want to say middle class, but it's there's a level of finance that's, that allows you to purchase It's not the everyday whiskey, basically, no. you're selling no. then. No, no. Basically, you're, what you're selling is every, sort of what we would consider everyday whiskeys, you know, stuff that you just buy to, to have about, or, or, or a premium where they're a, a level beyond what they would be here. Yeah, and I think if, if you look at that, there's it's probably a different conversation where you start looking at price point and quality. Because you can you can buy fantastic whiskies here in Ireland or in Scotland or anywhere else mm-hmm. for twenty pounds. Yeah, you know, if, in terms of you know price per bottle and what you're getting, you can get fantastic stuff that will be yeah. just as good as a hundred to two hundred euro bottle, it, and it really really is. Um, so when we look at stuff in terms of our market, the market is there; it's already there. It's about four hundred and fifty million euros a year market just for just for whiskey alone. So it's again it's significant. So the market already exists. So for us, when we initially looked at this, um, is it commercially viable as a business? And you've got twenty guys sitting around a table who are like, "Yeah, we 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 can actually do this. We can do this." And the people that were involved, it's it sounds silly, but you kind of find yourself in the right place at the right time. Some of these guys were, you know, our CEO who is part of this group and actually ran these whiskey nights is the largest importer of spirits in China. One of the other directors of the company, Jonathan, just happens to be there, loves his whiskey, is also the largest wine importer in China. Also part of the French um, Chamber of Commerce. We've got guys in the US Chamber of Commerce. We've got guys in the Danish Chamber of Commerce. And all of a sudden, you end up with a group of people who are exceptionally well-connected, exceptionally well into the business world already, and the largest suppliers of alcohol already in China. So they already have independent customers of 30,000 people or more. So <laughs> you sort of, again, find yourself in a position where maybe you feel a little lucky to be part of a group that is sitting down going, we can really do this. We can really do it. Yeah. Um, so we touched base with the local governments. We had a chat just to see if they'd be interested in uh, supporting the project or you know, at least giving us permission to go ahead. Yeah. They absolutely love the project. So when we worked out that, you know, look, we're going to do this and we'll start off with, to be honest, the, the, and we'll get into it probably a little bit later in terms of the scale of where we're going. But okay. We'd initially started off with something fairly small, probably in the region of about one to 2,000 square meters. You know, we'll start small, we'll build up, you know, like some of probably you know, some of the Irish distilleries that have set up over the last couple of years, small, smaller outputs, maybe again, three, three to 400,000 LPA a year sort of stuff and um when we went to the government the government said no this this, this is uh this is a really good project we really like it and we're going to designate you as a vip project so they actually took us around showed us all the different sites everything that we needed and we ended up on a site so we went from something where 
<laughs> you know, we, had, we had a fairly small site to a 17,200 square meter site. So it's very, very significant now. Yeah. And it, the government there have actually allowed us to dream big and go big with it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> essentially it started as 20 guys sitting around a table wondering whether we could, could do something. We explored it, put some money on the table and said, give it a shot. And all of a sudden it wasn't just 20 people. It was everybody started to put money down and it was, Oh, I heard there's a distillery going on. Can we, can we get involved? Can we put some money down? So, you know, I think our first four raises for the project, we'd initially set out a, a, a bracket. So we're quite careful about the money that we take and the people that we take. Yeah. Overall, this project is about people. It's about the people around us that have a passion for what they do, a passion for what they're drinking and want to make quality. We have, you can get guys coming in and knocking the door and say, I want to make an investment. You know, I'm a fund banker. You know, I just, I just want to make, I want to make money. Yeah. We don't need your money. Honestly, yeah. we don't need your money. I would prefer to get a guy coming in for a thousand euro who is passionate about whiskey than a guy for a million quid who just wants to put numbers on, on the bank yeah. account. Yeah. So, no, yeah. <laughs> now, whenever, whenever you start talking about potential markets yes but we i've talked umpteen times about potential markets in india china's on another level again mm-hmm. um of what potential there is there for for, for spirits and for, for for whiskey um it, 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 you mean you were talking there about sort of three three hundred thousand lpa so on and so forth i mean that's in China, I can imagine whenever you were talking to some of the Chinese government officials, they were probably looking at you as if, what's the, what's the <laughs> point of even turning on the tap? <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit. But I think what they liked was our approach. This wasn't just a case of, listen, we've got we've got a couple of guys who are willing to put 30 million quid on the table and, and set up yeah. a distillery. This was, at, at the time anyway, started off with 20 guys. After about two years, we had 140. We're now we're four, four and a half years down the line, and we have 240 investors from 22 countries. Yeah. So they like the idea of this is for whiskey people by whiskey people. Yeah. And that's what we're really looking for. I mean, we, we, we have had significant multinationals knocking on the door, asking for to buy the entire project out for very, very fast sums. I can imagine. Mm. That happened to somebody we know, but anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, um, whereabouts in China? I mean, China's a vast country. I think people sometimes don't appreciate it. I mean, you've touched on how, how vast a country it is. Mm-hmm. And where in China are you? Where? So we're, we're going to be based in Foshan. So if you think of Taiwan, go 500k west to mainland China, that's us. And uh, essentially where we've picked it is it's it's a very very significant area where we got to name nine rivers distilleries. There's nine fairly significant uh, rivers that run down from the top of the mountains. So we took it from local geographic, and we'll be using that water for our distillery as well. Yeah. But the area around us, it's all national park. So one of the other big things in terms of, and you'll notice from tourism, but we don't do tourism like the Chinese do. It's it's a very very different way. So if you look at cities in in Paris or anything else. You don't generally see one or two Chinese guys showing up to go and take a walk around, even in Ireland, a whiskey distillery. It's yeah. always a coach, always two coaches, three coaches. It's always lots and of that, people. It is. And that's exactly the same thing in China. It's yeah. exactly the same thing. They do huge tourism. So the parks around our distillery, it's not unusual over the course of a weekend to have 100,000 people showing <laughs> and have five-mile tailbacks down the road. So. Are yeah. let, let's say when you're planning out a distillery as well, most new distilleries are probably looking at a footfall of about 40 people a day. <laughs> our, our, our problem is actually on the other end of the spectrum where you've got you know a couple of thousand people and can we cater for that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, every time you talk about headcount or or you know, the, the, in yeah. terms of China, I mean, it's just I, I always think about the Kodak, Kodak. For anyone who's anybody who's not as old as I am, Kodak used to be a, a photography. Uh, they used to film, and they always thought if they could crack China, if every person in China took one photograph a week. They would like 
quintuple their profits. There's just the sheer volume of it. Um, that the, just the, the population is an incredible population. Yeah. But, yeah. Now, in terms of the site, the site you say is in a national park. Yes. Um, the 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 location of it, the national park is. There's not an awful lot of infrastructure around where you're going to be building this. No, uh, so there, there is a new park, essentially, um, a business park, let, let's say, that's be, being opened up in, in this area. So hmm. other international projects like ours will also be opening up in, in this business park. Okay. Um, and I think it's essentially everything that we need will be set out onto the site. Whatever we want, it'll be available. One of our regulars, uh, Stephen, is asking, is Minjang River. He must have been there. Uh, no, it's not. It, we're up in the high elevation, so the river is actually below us. Our elevation is about 550 meters up and specifically chosen for that climate and that all year round temperature. Um, yeah, so that would that would be a little bit lower. So let me see. You've got a map up there. So if you go to the far right of your picture, there's a place there, Shaman, and it's X-I-A-M-E-N. And it'll be quite close to that. You've broke ground already, haven't you? Yes, we have. So, so what stage you know, are We broke ground and we are at a point where the foundations are dug, but we haven't been able to actually get anybody in due to the COVID situation there at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so yeah. things have been a little bit slow on that on that uh, front. But we're looking at, you know, if we didn't have the delays, we were looking at Q1, March, probably 2023. But I'd say probably realistically now looking at early June yeah. uh, to be in full production. That's that's what we're at. that's what we're at. Unfortunately, COVID COVID's had that effect on lots and lots and lots of stuff. <laughs> okay, it's out of our control. It's not something yeah, that you know. Exactly. Yeah, we're in a position though that we should be able to ramp things up. I mean, you know, there are in terms of the crews that you can come in, the location that we're in, there's no curfew, so you can build on three, four crews a night and and have that going 24 hours a day mm -hmm. uh, to get it to completion. So, you know, worst comes to worst, we can up we can up the uh, the time frame on, on that. So. Yeah. Now, the other, the interesting thing, there's a few enormously interesting things about this whole project. Uh, one, the location. <laughs> two, the potential. Shem has always wanted to know if there's any jobs going. Uh, we'll, keep an, we'll keep an eye out for you. <laughs> now, I know you can't, you've, we've talked a little bit about this before we come on, but your stills, Yes, you have put in a patent for your for your still design. That's like, correct. For for a lot of people who a lot of people watching the show or people who are just newly watching the show think that every still's different. You know, every still's got a longer neck or a you know a, a, an onion ball, a bulbous bit, and then this and blah blah blah. But you're just going to be a totally new type of still for which you've got a patent. As far as we know, we, we talked about this. You're the only guy who's going to have a. You're the only distillery in the world that's going to have a patent for your own still. That's great. This so is even better than the this. three chambered one, Marty. Well, isn't well, it? well, the three the three chambered still is a recreation of something that was fairly common years ago that went out of fashion. But you, this is a totally different thing. Now I know you can't talk an awful lot about this, but fellas, and give us throw us a bone here, Stephen. Give us something. Sure. Well, one, th one thing I would say to you in terms of the project is everybody who's involved, we're an active investment project. So everybody who's in financially is in. So what we'll do is we'll look at their skill sets and we'll divvy them up into departments that we feel that can be functionally used. So, for example, we have journalists and editors. They take care of our social media and the articles. We have engineers. They're designing our floor space. We have product designers. They design the bottles that you've got on the screen there and the boxes and everything else. All done in-house, all done free of charge. So we don't have any overhead. So everything that comes in in terms of your investment goes into the investment, the project, the models, whatever else. So everything that we do, we do free of charge. So when we looked at the stills, we have high-level product engineers, automotive engineers. We have one physicist, one mathematician, a couple of scientists, high-level designers, and we put them all together to, to actually come up with something. So what we did was we looked at pot stills, column stills, and the functionality of them, how they work, why they work, why they don't work in certain areas. And essentially, we put sensors everywhere, inside, outside, everything. 
where were our temperature spots? Where were we not getting the, the reflux that we should be getting it? And we broke the still down into components. And those components that worked, we keep. Those components okay. that we don't work, we force them to work harder. And we use full electronic control, full independent monitoring systems for every section, every part of the still. We move the shapes, bow in certain areas, move out certain areas, increase height where we need to, increase width where we need to, to make it work to the best capacity it can possibly work to. And essentially, when we put this down on paper, we realized that actually nobody's actually ever done this before. Um, a lot of people, and uh, uh, to most of your listeners there, brand new distillery startup, they'll go to Foresights, which is actually who's actually supplying our, uh, our stills. And they were really happy to work with what exactly we had come up with. But generally, somebody will go in and they'll start off with a small pot still or something, 2,000 yeah. you know, liters, something like that. When we went, we didn't go with that. We went with our own brand new still and we said, we want you to make that. And they were happy to do it. They understood what we were doing. We went through all the engineering specs of it and why we are doing what we're doing. It's incredible. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So, it's, it's, I mean, that's inc it's incredible that you guys, you guys, I mean, to be fair, you, I mean, your, your background is a pilot and you've presented to, to four sides this is what we want as a staff. I'm going to say something here, and I don't want you to take offense, Stephen. When you rely on computer modeling, we all know what happens to certain aircraft when they rely on computer modeling. Uh, have, have you, you know, sometimes you do a scale model or, you know, a half size model, and then when you put it into the full size model, something else changes that you've never taken account of before. Sure. I mean, it, uh, is it just going to work? You're you're bound to have teething troubles with something that's that innovative. It, there will look. I, I think all in all, you can't expect to do new things and not see problems. But I, I I think from us, we don't really see anything as a problem. We just see it as a step that we need mm -hmm. to get around or get above or get it, you know, get under or over. There there will be a fix and there will be a way for us to deal with it and manage it and make it work. So. I suppose it depends on what what you want to call it. If it's a problem, it seems like it's, it's bigger than it is. If it's a task that needs completion, then it's something that's achievable and we can do it. So, mm. look, you, you put stuff like this out, you're, you're guaranteed to have teething problems. But our still setup will be two 30,000 litre, four 15,000 litre, and four 5,500 litre stills. <laughs> so e even if we have one or two teething issues, on the designs of the new stuff, we still have we still have output, you know, and it shouldn't that output even even with one or two teething problems should be less than a million LPA. So no matter no matter what, all for first year, we, we're we're covered. Yeah, that, that, I mean, the the fact that you've only four sides and and they've they've took it on board is 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 pretty impressive. Really, and really impressive. Now, phase one. What's your capacity? What, what's, what's your output going to be in phase one? 1.31. 1.31 million LPA. In a comparison. In, yeah. Bigger than Glen Goyne, Aaron, Ardbeg, Scapa, any of these. And yeah. again, when we look at this stuff, it's legacy history in terms of the companies that are there. Yeah. And we appreciate what they do. Great output, great quality. But we we feel that we can do great quality and achieve on a larger scale. Yeah, and that's that's essentially what we're looking to do after year two, seven million LPA, and <laughs> um, we're hoping to top out after year five at fifteen million LPA. No, fifteen million LPA. No, yeah. <laughs> now that that's after five, we yeah. have four. We have four more sites identified. <laughs> so, and essentially, what we'll be doing with those is micro distilling. So using them, encapsulating in certain areas around where we are. So we've taken in Shanghai, Guangzhou, Hong Kong, all of these areas, and those four sites are micro-distillering sites. We're not using them so much as they will produce an output, but they're going to be tourism sites. So we'll be able to sell our product. People will be able to come in, see the full process of what happens, how whiskey happens, and, and take it. So essentially, we have chosen... Four sites that encapsulate an area of about 235 million people. 
and, I, and, and essentially we're, we're trying to, let's say, corner off a bit of the market with a large population that, that will bring in whiskey lovers, bring in people who are, maybe don't, don't have that exposure and now are able to come into whiskey distillery and see how it works. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit of China. It's only 250 million people, quarter of a billion people. That's <laughs> You know, it's, like, you know 15%. it's incredible. I mean, when you talk just the scale of the thing, just incredible. I mean, people people possibly don't understand how 15 million LPA. I mean, it's it's just an incredible number, incredible yeah. number. It's very, very significant. And th- those are the areas that we we will we're very sure we will achieve it. It's not it's not something that we've just set a target. We know that's what will happen. We know in terms of the output and the, the equipment that we have, yeah. we know we can do it. It's not a case of, you know, we're really striving to hit those targets. We know that will happen. We know the machines and the, the, what we have will do it. Um, I mean, sure, tra- Trevor Watson has had a, had a thing. What a, what a whiskey story. It's a whiskey, massive Because, you know, this mightn't have the hundreds of years behind it, but it certainly has the uh, masses of amount of, uh, of scale and, an innovation behind it. I, I mean, mean, it's, uh, I mean, what that, are people going to say about this in uh, fifty or hundred years' time, are they? Well, well, that's not even that, Justin. It's it's having the vision or the vision or the the the, the confidence of everybody just to sort of. I mean, nine rivers. It's sort of flowing along on the on the back of nine people or twenty people, ambition and thought. Where where you can go from having a concept to have the biggest distillery in the world, in a. a in a relatively short period of time. I mean, what's what's the time scale for for phase four? Uh, phase four, um, which is our let me see. So we're up to phase three, which takes us to full completion. Essentially, internal fit out and external building fit out done, and that will be July, June, July. Yeah, Q Q three, Q two into Q three because of COVID, but Q two, Q three. Let's say next year. And then Q4 takes us through our first three years of production. Okay. So where, where, where we've looked at by the time we hit, um, yeah, by the time we've hit the, the two, probably after one year of full production, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're fairly significant. I mean, very, very significant. I mean, imagine building Johnny Walker as a brand in three years <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I mean it's it's incredible absolutely incredible and but for- I, this wouldn't be possible though without people that love whiskey and yeah. I'll, I'll be very very straight with you because yeah there are many many companies and many new distilleries in ireland that are popping up all over the place because people feel it's a good business opportunity now there is a commercial aspect to what we're doing but this is born out of guys sitting around talking about whiskey who love whiskey yeah. And are driving that true because the overall target for us is to make quality whiskey, award-winning yeah. whiskey. That is the ultimate goal. Yeah, and oh, oh, okay. I'll put it like this: Bono's buying into the story. I don't think Bono drinks a lot of whiskey. If I'm totally honest, I don't. I think his niece probably has much more input in the Irish whiskey market than he probably will. He's put stumped up some cash. I'm good, good on him. Fair play. I hope he makes me time to himself, but. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to say something here, and again, you're a massive new entrant into the market, Stephen, yeah. and there is a lot of other people that are, you know, whiskey heads in, in China that might have friends of friends who are big money men. Somebody could go and copy you, and then you might find that the, the although it's a burgeoning market in China, it might end up flooded with whiskey. That that's a potential because people have already approached you to buy it, haven't they? Yes, they have. They have, and we've had significant offers even from early on. But as I said already, we're more interested in people who love whiskey rather than big money guys. We we've had guys knocking the door, offering very very significant amounts to invest in a company, to purchase joint venture, all of the above. It has to be the right money, and that that's really what it comes down to. Now, to be fair. We're very, very lucky that every stage that we've set down. So our first four, um, first four raises, we raised 2.2 million euro for the initial phase of the project. And that was predominantly to purchase our land and legal company set up all of the structures. But we were oversubscribed by 300,000 euro. We had to say no because people kept giving us money. We're now into phase one, 
just coming to the end of phase one of our um, Series A round. So we've broken that into four. We've just raised 3.55 million euro. And again, I've had to say no. So it all comes down to the right money, the right people and having the quality. Now, there will be other products there. There are others. If you look at Diageo have set up, I think they've put in about 75 million euros into a new facility. I think we mentioned that previous episode of this. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Bernard Ricard as well have come into the market. You've got Valentine's who come in with... um, Muay Thai as well, they've set up a joint venture project. So there are bigger companies there. But one of the other things that I would say in terms of the people that we have on board, what I notice with a lot of foreign companies coming in is that I'm going to give you a very simple example. Let's say I give you a whiskey and it's got hints of marzipan, Christmas cake, tones of Christmas, notes of Christmas cake. Mm-hmm. Those things don't exist in China. There is no consumer relevance between what you have, what I've just described to you, and a consumer market. But what you have big companies doing is Google translating their way into a product that exists at home, that's marketed for home, and try and just sell it without giving that consumer that connection. I understand. So what what we have is we've taken on board Chinese and English scholars who will actually develop that relationship and develop the flavor profiles that are relevant to the areas and the towns that we're going to sell it. So, oh, like you goji berries. It has goji berries. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Not, not, not specifically. But what I'm saying is that if you take a whiskey that has hints of marzipan and you've got a Christmas cake that don't exist in China, what yeah. do they taste like? What tones? What notes are relevant to them? Whether it be through their food, through the culture, and how do you how do you make that connection with Very the clever. consumer? And very, if you very, don't, very, very if you don't make that connection on a local level, you're lost. You're just the same other brand as everybody else on that shelf. And companies like big multinationals have marketed for the Western market and then just try and sell in China. We're not yeah. going to do that. We are marketing to the Chinese market, just like the Japanese market, the Japanese market. And because the quality is good, it gets picked up around the world and off it goes. But- yeah, see, I have a couple of friends from China. Um, I'm one of them who I, I, I first met, and I asked, when I first met them, I said, oh, where are you from? And she told me the name of the place she was from. I said, oh, I didn't know it. And she says, oh, it's, it's a very small city in China. There's only 8 million people there. <laughs> and I was like, hang on, that's about the same population as London. And, and, you know, whenever you're talking about these regionalities, it's it's an enormous market. But yeah. I, I can totally understand multinationals just... Google Translate, because we, we work with some of the PR companies and some of them are just awful. I mean, yeah. some of them are just yeah. awful. Yeah. Now, you, you did mention something there about Japan, and it made me think about a show we did. We did a show about Japanese whiskey, which is mm-hmm. illegal in Japan. Can't be sold in Japan. It's not, it's not illegal. It's not well, illegal. It can't be marketed as Japanese whiskey because it uses a different distillation so, or uh, fermentation. With, with this massive growth, obviously... Uh, they do like demur things uh, in the West. Will there be regulation connected with this uh, about, you know, the, the, the PGA the products, you know, is scientific it change, file, that sort of thing? Yeah. Technical file and PGA status. Yeah. So it, where, where we're at in terms of Chinese regulation, same sort of rule sets are actually in place from, you know, what China or what Scotland does, what Ireland does. The <coughs> Sorry, the only difference is you're looking at a two-year uh, maturity. That's the only difference. Other than that, they don't have the Chinese Whiskey Association or a Chinese regulator that will determine rule sets for the entire market. Mm-hmm. And that's something as a company we are encouraging the government to do. So what I would say is it'll only take one bad apple to spoil it, Yeah. where somebody takes advantage of maybe the lack of rules or the lack of, lack of regulation to do something. And it, it, could, it could kill the entire name for everybody in the business. So we want that rule set. We're encouraging the government to do that rule set. And we'll hopefully be able to engage with them and actually tell them what we're looking for. So, you know, from us as a company, we want to hold ourselves to the highest standards possible. So we are mimicking Scotland. We are mimicking Ireland in terms of the age statement, in terms of how to do everything, in terms of the rule sets. Because Look, Scott, Scotch and Irish whiskey has ruled the world and dominated the world whiskey market now. There's other entrances into the market at this point in time, but historically, Irish and Scotch have ruled the world in terms of uh, whiskey. There's no better place to take your rule set and start with that. Yeah. 
I think that the whole Chinese project has so much potential, so much potential. They have, I think the idea of, of barley grown in China, bolted in China, you know, distilled in China, aged in different regions in China. You know, there's just so much potential there. And there is. In terms and, and, and of something, something, something for us in terms of our visibility, it's been incredible. I think probably the busiest month, the last month has is, is just been incredible for us. So we're looking now at setting up uh, cross cooperation with the cooperage. So we'll have a, our own cooperage essentially on site. Mm -hmm. Doing all of that, we're malting in house. So I know a lot of companies tend to go to the UK, and there's a specific company who essentially malt for everybody and shove it on the back of a truck and send it up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We're 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 not going to do that. We're going to be doing all in-house malting, everything done by hand by our own staff. Wow. So look, we, you're, we're not, not, we're, you're, you're not scamming on spending money. <laughs> Let's no, be honest. no. Look, with a seventeen thousand two hundred square meter site, it's it's an enormous site. And we have the capacity to do it from our fermenters to the, the stills themselves, the office buildings that we have, and there are full malting floors. We have three three floors for malting, you know, and we'll be able to do anything essentially that we want. We have the space to do it, so we'll take full control of that. Where are you going to get your cast from that? It's a good question because there's a shortage of cast, isn't there? To, to some extent, I would say there is, but, you know, I'd say within the Chinese market, out to and through Asia, you know, bourbon casts at the moment are a pound a penny. You can essentially pick them up pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And there isn't a huge cost on it. I think if you look overall at the European market, it's probably the the, the biggest cost of it is actually getting stuff shipped in. Yeah. Um, and obviously, look, I think when you look at China in terms of the production costs, in terms of transport costs, it will always be less. It will always be less than what, you know, Western companies will spend. The other aspect is we are looking to sell our own cooperage. So we are talking to people right now in Europe, in Ireland, France, and around Europe to actually go into a cross-cooperation with us and set up a full cooperage essentially on site. So whatever we want will be available to us at the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm sure everything, everything is going to be laid on for you. The, the one, another interesting thing about the distillery is... Where you are, there's, there, there's, I've been reading up on what you've been doing, and the feng shui. Yeah, the design of the distillery is important for well reasons higher than anything in, in Ireland would be. You know, you have the tourism aspects, you have the the, the actual production stuff, plus um, then you have to take in the feng shui exit. Explain to us what that means, because okay, so. Feng Shui, like I think from a Western perspective might be, you know, people might look at it a little bit, you know, with a skeptical eye. Yeah. But essentially Feng Shui comes down to allowing the building to flow within its natural environment. So whether that be close to rivers, whether it be your predominant wind, whether it be the shape of the building. We'd initially started with peak, peak roofs, but we weren't allowed to use peak roofs with Feng Shui because they weren't facing in the right direction. <laughs> um, so... It, it sounds silly, but again, I, I mentioned something about that connection to the local environment Yeah. with regards to your advertising and what that, that connection between a bottle. That also is so true with your buildings and everything else that you do. And one of the things within China, it's very easy for somebody to say, oh, those buildings, bad feng shui. And all of a sudden, your, your market is killed. Your bottle yeah. is killed. Because you didn't respect the local custom, you didn't respect, and it, it sounds so silly, but when you're in Rome, that, that's essentially what it comes down to. Absolutely. You, you, you're allowed to flow into the local custom, and we didn't have to give a huge amount up. We just had to make some concessions for what they believed the, the buildings should flow like. And, you know, we're not losing capacity from it, we're not losing anything else, and we're, we're following the local custom, and we're yeah, okay with that. It's just, it, number one, it's respectful. Never mind yes. anything else. It's respectful. Plus, it uh, it's a it's a, it's an architectural feature essentially. It's, that's what you're boiling down to. Yeah, now, pretty much. The bottles that we've been showing here tonight. Yeah. Um, explain those bottles and where they are. What sure? Where you get them and whatnot. So, I suppose the best way to start this is if I asked both of you, if I could give you distillery today, what are you going to sell? 
single malt. Let's be honest. The, the sure. Well, what are we looking at? Are we looking at a bourbon cask, Madeira finish, red wine? You know, we, we there's a lot. There's a lot here we could talk. And literally, I could give you as many options as you want, and you might not agree. But it would take you a long time to come to consensus of that's the type of company that we want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's few, it. A few iterations and vintaged. Yeah. So essentially, when we first sat down to discuss whether we would actually do this or not. That the process happened and we said, right, now we are actually going to do this. What type of company do we want to be? What are we going to sell? Is there a quality point? Is there a type of cask? What, what is it that we want? So essentially, our CEO and our chairman, the CEO James Robertson, and uh, deputy chair, uh, which is Jeff Olnick, together collectively between the guys who set up the company, we had about 200 and probably about 250 privately held casks. And what we did was our chairman of our board is Stephen Davies, who is also the CEO of the Welsh Whiskey Company, uh, who sell incredible whiskey, Pandera. So when we talk about what we wanted to do, it's fantastic. Really, really great company and incredible people to work with. If anybody's ever in the the Brecon Beacons there, take take a look around. Really fantastic place. But... um, we set out what we wanted to do. We had an idea of the types of finishes. Everybody sort of got a say in terms of, and this is the good thing about the company, you get a say in everything. You know, whether you're a designer or not, if you don't like the bottle, say so. We'll make a change. Don't <laughs> like the label, say so. We'll make a change. Um, but it was the same with the flavor profiles. I'm a bourbon man, so the very first thing to come out is the first still bourbon cast finished in Madeira. Madeira because somebody else liked Madeira. And we, how do we work this? So what we did was we, we, we spoke with Stephen, and his team in Pandera. And uh, we had our cats, they took in our cats and we gave them what we were looking for. And they came up with our flavor profiles for us and bottled everything. So we actually manufactured everything in China. We designed everything in-house from our bottles to the boxes, everything labeled, everything. We shipped them off to Wales. Everything was filled in Wales. And yeah, most of them are heading back towards China now in a, a big uh, a big Nine Rivers distillery uh, container. So. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, I, the whole project is just—it's incredible. From from a guy who didn't know anything about whiskey to sort of tentative steps and discovering it in, in the states, to going to China, starting off with the distillery and ending up with potentially the well, the, the biggest distillery, the whiskey distillery in the world. Yeah, it's an incredible tale, Stephen. It's, I mean, it just is. Mind blowing. But can't any of these bottles be bought in Ireland or the UK or so when we initially sat down and I I think you'll like this story. When we initially sat down to talk about this and work out what type of samples, you know, we'd we'd like to, you know, to put out on the table. Everybody's gonna sit down, we're gonna try them. What do you like? What do you don't like? And I came to Martin and I came to Justin and I said, listen, lads. We're, do, we're putting these flavor profiles forward. How many samples do you want? And what would your response be? <laughs> uh, as many as you can get us. <laughs> exactly. So, so when we actually spoke to our investors, when we spoke to the people involved in the project, it, it wasn't, we, and initially when we looked at samples, we were talking about a sample. Mm-hmm. And the first response we got was, I'll take 30 bottles. <laughs> and the next response we got was, I'll take 50 bottles. <laughs> so we soon realized this wasn't just, it wasn't going to be a small thing. It actually was a thing. So why not make it a thing? And that's what essentially we did. We took a professional approach on it and released it essentially like it were our very, very first release. So what we've done is we've done a cast strength on everything, 600 bottles, limited edition on everything. And bottle number one went down on the website there on Saturday and sold out in 27 minutes. So it gives us a good idea that uh, we're going in the right direction. Now, to be fair, I think it probably would have gone quicker. Our website crashed after about four or five minutes because there was a fairly significant amount of traffic. But 27 minutes all in and 600 bottles are gone. So within Ireland, and thankfully you guys are lucky now, Justin, I had said it to Martin already, but there's... There is a bottle going to be going up to Martin, and I'm, I'm sure he'll split it with you. Uh, yeah. So okay. I, I, I wasn't meant to say that. I wasn't meant to say that. But, uh, 
the only the only bottle that will be available in the Irish market initially of bottle one uh, is actually going out on the Irish whiskey auctions. Uh, I think under June, the June auction, and uh, we've given it to them to sell off for whatever charity they see fit. So. It's uh, a good way, obviously, for, for people to, to see that there's something coming out. But hopefully, and I really hope, essentially, the bottle that goes out will be the first bottle we have ever released to the public. Yeah. So it's a one of 600, the very first bottle. Yeah. So I hope, I hope, given the market now for investment whiskey and stuff like that, I'd hope that it, it would raise a few quid for, for the, a good cause, you know? You would like to think so. You'd like to think so. That's, that's uh, so. Stephen... Honestly, I, I, just talking to you and talking about the scale of everything that you're trying to do. Everything Every, everybody forward. wants a sample. Everybody yeah. wants a sample. Everybody, everybody wants a sample. Listen, listen, I may decide to split it, but I'll not get that money. Fair enough. I, I'm, I won't get involved in the argument. <laughs> but, Stephen, listen, keep us up to date with what's going on. Let us know what, where you are. And the fact that a guy from Dublin... Has, has moved to China and is building the biggest distillery in the world. I I I, I appreciate everything that you're trying to do. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how it's going. If everybody, if you're looking at any investors or anything like that, do let us know. Sure thing. Yeah, it's all on the website there. And if anybody's interested, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the usual stuff, nineriversdistillery.com as well, dot, or .cn. And you can take a look at essentially everything we do is transparent. If you want to look at, you know, our investment portfolio down to how we set up top to bottom from the company to the buildings, it's all there. It's all there. And all honestly, there. go on and check it out. And there is absolutely an amazing story developing and will be just a, a, a unbelievable. I, I Honestly, I wish you every success and I will... Be staying in touch with you uh, as we go forward. Thank you very much for joining us. Cheers to that. Thanks, guys. Take care. Take care. Slunch a bit. Take care.